Good morning, Fire Wheelers. Hey, isn't it good to be together in person with our brothers and sisters in Christ? A special hello to those of you who are watching us online. Just remember that you are loved. We rejoice in getting together to be able to gather together here on Sunday morning and to have worship with Kathy and the band and to hear a message from Pastor Chris, who is always so passionate. Um, I do want us, we're going to pray today, and we're going to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and the situation that's going on there. And so let's remember them and continue to pray for them as we make our way through this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we exalt you, Lord. You are sovereign. Uh, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, you have no equal. You have no rival, Lord. You are the reason we gather here together, and we worship you, and we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we are allowed to gather here together uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father. Uh, we thank you, Lord, um, for the opportunity that we have to share the gospel, to speak it, and to learn from others. Father, I want to pray this morning for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, the situation that's going on there, Lord. I want to pray also for the pastors in Afghanistan and their families, that you give them courage. Lord, I pray for protection for them as well, if that be your will. I pray that through this situation, your name would be glorified. We want to pray for Dave Furman as well this morning, Lord. Give guidance to the surgeons. Give patience to Dave as well as he continues to battle through this situation. Lord, I pray the music today is pleasing to you, that the message that Pastor Chris brings would glorify your name and that your name would be lifted up. We exalt you and we praise you, and I pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. I, I ask that you add to your prayers this morning for those people in the path of Hurricane Ida, Louisiana coastline and all that area. This looks like it's going to be one heck of a storm and uh, could be pretty devastating. And this on the 16th anniversary of Katrina. So those people are, uh, really need our prayer. So if you would add those to your prayer, I'd appreciate it. Everybody, please stand and join us in worship this morning. You stay the same. 
Come on, fire wheel. So question for you, Firewall, please have a seat. It's time for us to, to give our offering. Yes! Um, do you all believe that? Do you all believe that there are greater things to be done in this city? I believe that. I believe that there are greater things to be done in this city. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe that we are a part of the greatest work on earth called the church. It, there is nothing more important than the work of God's uh, ministry and in the church and kingdom investment. And we are on the front lines of that. And we love our community. In fact, just this week, our local police department was using this very auditorium for training. I don't often talk about this, but our facility is available and open. And we, we provide it for the local fire department, police department, and other community organizations. They use this facility for training and conferences. Uh, this, uh, for the most part, outside of Sunday morning, it's open uh, uh, to the public. And y'all are investing in that. And you're investing in our local police department. We back the blue here at Firewall Bible Fellowship. We're all about that. Heck yeah. Um, and so not only does every dollar you invest go directly to battling biblical illiteracy uh, in this generation and spreading the gospel, but it also goes to supporting our local community organizations. And so this morning we're going to pray. I'm going to ask that you pray, be in prayer for uh, one of our missionaries. As a ministry, we support missionaries in different parts of the world. And one of those ministry efforts, uh, Dave and Gloria Furman are in Dubai. And uh, Dave, if you do not know about Dave Furman, a wonderful guy, they planted Redeemer Church and a big growing ministry uh, in the Middle East. Well, he has had a degenerative disease in his arms, and it causes him incredible pain 100% of the time. And uh, nothing that they have done so far has worked. And today, which, was, which is really, I think, tomorrow. I, what time is it in Dubai? Anybody know? It's, it's not Sunday morning in Dubai right now. So he's already had his surgery. And uh, the hope is that through this surgery, the pain will be diminished, and then they can do the full surgery. And he's hoping for 50% reduction, but this morning we're going to pray for 100% reduction in his pain. Amen? Can we join in agreement? Yes. And uh, when we bow our heads to pray, we're going to start with 13 seconds of silence. And, and we're going to do this in, in observation of the 13 soldiers who died. 
uh, this past week. And we're, and we're going to just be quiet and silent. And we're going to pray in our hearts. And we're going to ask uh, for God's wisdom and protection on our military. We're going to pray for our country uh, from our hearts. And we're going to pray for our local uh, service organizations, police department, fire department, all of that. And uh, for administrators and schools. Anybody here represented by our schools, administration? Any of you have kids in school? It's a crazy time to be having kids in school and being a part of, the ch of, of schools in the, the independent school district. So we're going to pray for that as well. And uh, we're going to pray that God blesses our offering. So let's bow our heads. Lord, we gather together in your name, and we've bowed our head in an observance of those who have laid down their lives for our country. Um, uh, Lord, we, we quiet our own hearts, and we pray for their families. We pray for their fellow soldiers, uh, the sorrow of loss. Um, we pray that um, that sorrow uh, would, be, would be met also uh, with the sense of um, gratitude, uh, Lord, for those who are willing to put their life on the line. Lord, I'm reminded of you, Jesus, willing to lay your life down for us. We thank you for our soldiers and for our military. We thank you for those who are in leadership and, and who are, are leading us as a nation. We ask your wisdom, your divine providence, and your sovereign will and plans to be unfolded in and through uh, the leadership of this great country. We pray uh, protection over your people. We thank you for the local police department and fire department, the local service organizations. We thank you for the school districts and, and the administrators and for the teachers and for parents and students. And Lord, we ask that your divine protection and blessing be upon them. Uh, Lord, how can we be of service for those who are in service to us? Lord, we pray for Dave Furman this morning. We beg, we plead on behalf of, of his arms. Please, Jesus, heal his body. We pray by faith together that there would be more than just 50% reduction. We pray for 100% reduction of his pain. We pray that he's able to hug his kids again. And Lord, to hold a fork, to hold his Bible as he preaches. Pray comfort over Gloria and the kids. Pray for restoration of his health. And so, Lord, this morning, we, we thank you for the honor and the privilege of being of service to this community. We do believe by faith you have greater works to be done here, and we get to leverage and we get to invest in the kingdom work here in this community. And so, Lord, give us hearts of generosity as we support the work of the ministry. We pray abundant blessings over our offering, that we use it for your glory or honor, that, Lord, the, the Bible would be taught, that your gospel would be proclaimed, that people would be reached, that this community would be transformed, that, Lord, we would be discipled and trained and sent out to the front lines of taking the gospel to a dead and dying generation. Please rescue and redeem and allow us to be a part uh, uh, of that rescue effort until the day you return. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
sings. Shine your light and let the whole world see. 
Thank you, thank you. All right, let's give it up one more time for the worship team. Woo! All right, great stuff, great stuff. Uh, all right, my name is Keegan McCarthy. Uh, I am here to deliver the announcements, and so shall I do now. Uh, first and foremost, this Wednesday, September 1st, we are starting the Foundations class. Uh, once again, this will teach you how to do sound biblical teaching verse by verse in the scriptures. Uh, at the completion of the study, each of you will be required to deliver a sermon on Sunday morning. I'm kidding. Uh, up next, softball. Softball is coming up in the middle of September. We will be playing every Friday night for eight Fridays in a row. Uh, ladies, I need you. We need five ladies to make a team. Five ladies. So far, we have one. Uh, we have two. She just doesn't know it yet. But uh, I really need you all to step up. The men are doing great. Um, but ladies, I need you all. Uh, golf, October 16th at Waterview over in Rowlett. Uh, $75 to play, that includes prizes, food, uh, just a great fellowship event. Um, also, if you are interested in perhaps sponsoring but not playing, that's available as well. Uh, just come see me. Uh, we do whole sponsorships, whatnot, uh, if you do not find yourself so inclined to the ancient game. Um, also, just to drop a little teaser, and we're still working out the details, but come October, uh, on a Sunday, when the Cowboys are playing the Patriots on October 17th, we are going to have a little chili cook-off. Mmm, chili, yes. And there will also be a pie contest. And Pastor Chris, uh, in his infinite servant's heart, has promised to try a bowl of each and every chili that is made and take a slice of each and every pie to determine the winner. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he stated this to me, and I was like, whoa, Chris, that's quite a commitment. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. It's like, all right, it's your stomach, not mine. Uh, but just be on the radar for that. And then last but not least, we have a King's Closet donation drop box out in the lobby. Yes. Uh, if you are not aware, King's Closet is a ministry we're partnered with out in Fate, Texas. It is a nonprofit that provides clothing to those who are in need. Um, so it's just right out here. If you have some clothing that you'd like to donate, also hygiene kits, uh, you know, soap, shampoos, whatnot. And I will remind you that clothing to be donated, uh, there's some metrics. So if you're donating a piece of clothing because it no longer fits, that's great. If you are donating a piece of clothing because it is old and ratty and you would never wear it ever again, maybe think twice about it, all right? Um, these are people who are really in need of some just solid, decent clothes. Uh, so let's, you know, give what we can. It's a great organization. Uh, Michelle does a great job with it. Holly does a great job with it. She takes the youth out there frequently. Um, it's just a great way to give back to the community. And that's all I have for y'all. So enjoy the sermon. Thank you, Keegan McCarthy. That is right. I will be a suffering servant, and I will eat chili and eat pie. Mm -mm -mm. All right, Bibles, let's see them. Bibles, you got your Bibles, excellent. Digital and in print, oh, well, pens. Everybody got a pen. Let's see those pens. Come on, raise them up. Be proud of those pens. And uh, how many of you, thank you, Elijah, pen, 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 and uh, pads. And we got something to write on. You're going to take some notes today, ready to study. Enemy, you got a sermon buddy. Let's see those sermon buddies. Lift those right up. If you do not have a sermon buddy, like a sermon buddy, raise your hand. We'll get a sermon buddy to you this morning. Well, with all that said, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. word. Are you all ready for some sound biblical teaching? Word. Yes. 
that is why we have gathered this morning. I want you to imagine first with me, you're standing on the side of a road. Behind you, a bridge has been washed out. And you know that if any car drives down that road, they're headed for imminent death. And you start to see cars coming, and you you start waving your arms, stop, stop, don't go any farther, turn, turn around. You're going to die. Some slow to see the spectacle of that person on the side of the road, but keep driving. Others laugh at that crazy person, and they, they accelerate, slamming their foot down on the gas pedal, and you can hear it like the screech of the tires, the collisions, the screams of the people as they go over the edge, and then the deafening silence of death. And you start to feel like everything is hopeless, like no one's going to turn around, like no one's going to listen. And then all of a sudden, somebody stops and rolls down the window. And you're like, stop, don't go any farther. To go any farther is death. And they listen. And they turn around. And then another... And then another, and then even some who are so full of gratitude, they return to stand next to you, to cry out, to proclaim, to preach. Turn, turn, turn. Well, this morning we're going to be introduced to one such preacher by the name of John the Baptist. He was placed at the intersection of life and death. Sent to prepare a people for the arrival of their king. This man had been sent with a message from God, a message profound, simple, but radical. I say radical. This is normal, everyday Christianity, actually. It's only radical to our contemporary ear. Simple, turn Turn, turn, turn from sin and turn back to God, for the King is coming. Now, over the course of the passage this morning, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we're going to be answering five questions. The first question is, who was John the Baptist? Who was John the Baptist? Secondly, we'll be answering the question, what was John's message? What was John's message? Third, how did the people respond to that message? How did the people respond to that message? And then uh, uh, how did the religious re, uh, respond, or how did John respond to the religious leaders? And then finally, are you? It will, it will get inherently personal. Are you ready to meet Jesus? First question, who was John the Baptist? Well, this morning as we open up to Matthew chapter 3, we need to recognize that somewhere around 30 years has passed from the close of chapter 2 in Matthew's gospel to the opening of chapter 3. And in dramatic fashion, we are introduced to a man who had not been mentioned before, but he just like bursts upon the text as he bursts upon the Judean wilderness in Matthew chapter 3 verse 1. In those days, that that statement in those days, what it's telling us is what we're about to read and unfold and what we have so far, this is a historical record. Okay, these are actual historical events that are being unfolded in front of us in Matthew's gospel. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching, that is declaring a message in the wilderness of Judea. 
Now, Matthew spends very little to no time actually giving us the backstory of who John the Baptist is, and I believe one of the reasons is that Matthew's original audience already had a strong working knowledge of who John the Baptist was. In fact, in Jewish circles, in many Jewish circles, John the Baptist was held in very, very high regard as a prophet and as a servant of God. Well, just a cursory reading of Luke's gospel, chapters 1 through 2, actually gives us the backstory of John the Baptist. I'll give you a little bit of data on him. John the Baptist was the miracle son of Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth his wife. As they were later in years, it was a miracle that Elizabeth became uh, pregnant. Uh, the child uh, was set apart, prophetically blessed, and called into a profound ministry from the womb. In fact, from the womb, he was full of the Holy Spirit, was to be set apart like a Nazarite, to have no strong drink, uh, uh, and to be really a person from the very beginning of his days set apart to the Lord. He was, he was a prophet, a preacher, a proclaimer, and a preparer of the people. Y'all like all those Ps? So do I. I like alliteration. I'll say it again. He was a prophet, preacher, proclaimer, and preparer. Preparer, and he was preparing the people of Israel for the arrival, for the arrival of King Jesus. Well, John the Baptist really, as, as much as he is this, this one who had been promised, we see the fulfillment of his life in the prophecy of Scripture that he came in the, the ministry and power of Elijah. That is why Matthew, as he has up until this point multiple times, quoting the Old Testament to show time and again, these unfolding of events are according to sovereign prophecy recorded somewhere, hundred, sometimes hundreds and even a thousand years or more before they unfolded. So we're going to jump to Matthew 3.3 3, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew writes this, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And he's talking about John the Baptist. When he said this, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So quoting from the Old Testament, confirming that these events were according to God's sovereign plan uh, and in alignment with ancient prophecies. I just need to say this at this point. The Bible is not like any other book. Like I'll hear people reference it, oh, it's just another religious book. No, it's not. There is nothing on earth in literary form that is like the Scripture. And here's what I mean by that. It is the unfolding of God's sovereign plan in and through time and space. It is, it is so clear as you unfold the scriptures that it is a linear message and it is a linear pattern all the way through and it's all according to God's sovereign plan. And we come to discover as we study scripture that these times that we are living in today are as much caught up in the sovereign plan of God as the days of John the Baptist and the earthly ministry of Jesus. These days are truly biblical days of fulfillment. And what happens to us as believers as we get our eyes off of the scripture, we start to believe that everything is chaos and everything's falling out of place. And, and where's God in all of this? And you know where God is in all of this? He's right here in the text telling us, I am in control. I am sovereign over history. My perfect plan will be fulfilled. And there is nothing that can thwart that. Nothing. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we're, and we're, we're shaken 
Because you know what? Our foundation isn't on Christ and his word. Our, our faith and our foundation gets shaken when we fill our hearts and souls with everything that's being disseminated on Facebook. Y'all, we, we sound like a bunch of lemmings sometimes. We're, we're saying and regurgitating the same things that are being disseminated culture-wide. And there's a problem with that because that is not the source of our foundation. We need to be disseminating the pure word of God. That people understand that we're building our foundation on the scriptures and so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you that we turn time and again to the scriptures and we come to realize that these times are biblical times. What we're reading and what we're experiencing is no mere coincidence, it's fulfillment. And so Matthew here quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 in, in verses 3, really in the whole context is talking of the ministry of the Elijah who was to come, that is the ministry of John the Baptist, but what it speaks of is a forerunner. And I'm going to quote here from Dr. Constable, his study notes. This gives us a better context of what John's ministry was all about. It was common when Jesus lived for forerunners to precede important individuals. And we would, of course, argue that there was no more important individual uh, uh, than the Lord Jesus in order to prepare the way for their arrival. For example, when a king would visit a town in his realm, his emissaries would go before him to announce his visit. They would proclaim him. He's coming. They would make sure that the town was in good condition to receive him. Sometimes his servants even had to do minor road work to smooth the highway that the king would be taking as he approached this destination. Well, John was being sent by God, and he was not being sent by God to do road work. He was being sent by God to prepare the road of people's hearts for the arrival of Jesus, a group of hearts that had turned from God and were given a pretty gnarly description of this prophet of the wilderness. In fact, he's kind of like rocking standard prophet garb. Uh, we see this in verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, doesn't that sound comfortable, uh, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just eat up one of those locusts like a baby corn. No, 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 no. <laughs> I imagine a very burly, wild-eyed prophet dude. Like, that's, that's what I get, this image in my mind. In the wilderness of Judea, uh, long, matted, unkept hair, a thick beard with little bits of, like, chewed locusts and honey all up in it, uh, wearing a camel-skin tunic with a thick leather belt around his waist, crying out in the wilderness and preaching. And we, we move now to our second question of the morning is, what was John's message? Because he was sent to proclaim a message, and we're given a synopsis, basically a, an overview of his message. We find this in Matthew 3, verse 2. This is a synopsis. Like, if you boil down John's message to its component parts, here, here it was. Uh, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you have your Bibles, I want you to underline that word repent, and I want you to underline the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is, it is coming. You know, we don't really like the word repent. We don't use it anymore unless we're being kind of cheeky or sassy, right? Like, ah, you need to repent. Uh, uh, it sounds judgy. Right? Like antiquated, heralding back to hellfire and brimstone preachers, slamming pulpits and pointing fingers. But you know what? We may just need a little fire and brimstone in our life. We're so conditioned to only want to hear what we want to hear, and we avoid the things we need to hear. 
It's like going to the doctor. We just want to hear good stuff. But what if we're sick? And we need treatment. And we go to the doctor and we're like, hey doc, I just want to let you know right up front, I only want to hear good news. And the doctor's like, well, I don't have all good news. I don't want to hear that. But you need treatment. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear good stuff. The word repent is necessary medicine. It is the Greek word metaneo. It means a change of mind leading to a change of direction. It means it references a complete change in attitude as it relates to the way we are living, directly drawn from how we are thinking and believing. We may not be aware of this, but our brains, our spiritual soul is broken by sin. We live in a world that is dead and saturated with sin. And you know what? Our lives reflect it. Repentance, it means coming to grips with the reality that our lives are not in alignment with God's ways or laws. And we need to turn. When we turn to Jesus, what are we turning from? What, what are we turning from? We're turning from sin. I'm, I got all y'all saying that. What are we turning from? Yeah, when we turn to Jesus, we are turning from sin. I want you to think back to the opening illustration. Turning away from imminent death. Don't keep going that way. It leads to death. So we turn. But you know what? Kind of a pastime, a contemporary pastime of Christians is we're like, well, yeah, I realize that leads to death, but I'm going to see how close to the edge I can really get. And here's what's so dangerous about that. Unbelievers are following you. And you may plunge over the end, and God may save you from that eternal death, but that unbeliever will not be. Quit dancing with death and leading others to do the same. There is supposed to be a radically different life exemplified in the life of the believer, light and salt. That is a discernible difference. The word is to turn. And so the question is, how do the people respond? It's a pretty gnarly message. Turn from your sin and turn to God. And today's culture, I'm like thinking about how do we respond to this homeless, wild-eyed preacher in the wilderness? You know, I think we're pretty sophisticated. I think we would look at a guy like John the Baptist and accuse him maybe of having a mental illness. Our refined palates, our precious little egos can't handle be con being confronted with the utter sinfulness of the masquerade called our life. We cling to our righteousness and supposed goodness, rejecting any evidence to the obvious reality that we're not as righteous as we think. We're well, here's the deal. I mean, it's very easy to see it in others, right? Like, I can see it in other people. Like, oh, man, that person really needs Jesus. <laughs> What am I insinuating with that? That I don't? Here's what's crazy. I was standing at the checkout line with Madeline, my lovely wife. She's just gorgeous. I love my wife right here. Yeah. She's hot. Anyway, so we're standing at the checkout line. Hey, don't believe the lie that as you are married longer and longer that that flame should, should dim. Man, that thing should start burning hotter and hotter as the years go by. Let that fire burn, married couples. If you ain't married yet, put that fire out. You gotta wait. <laughs> but when it happens, God's got good stuff for you. 
Well, here's the deal. We're standing at the checkout line. Stay on track, Chris. I'm in. Okay. And I see this magazine cover. And I look at it, and I'm like, isn't that fascinating? Here's the, the magazine cover, Time Inside the Criminal Mind, Understanding How Bad People Think. And, it, you know, it's Charles Manson and Al Capone and Ted Bundy, and I'm like, oh, yeah, those are bad people. But then I'm like, what is that insinuating? Right? Like, oh, there's bad people, and I am a, I'm a good person. Right? That, that's the lie being perpetrated. Oh, we're all essentially good people. Really? Is that biblically accurate? Is that what the Bible teaches, that we're essentially good people? Here, I'm just going to run down a few uh, doses of reality. Again, we're like, I want to hear good news from the doctor. Well, sometimes we need real news. Uh, as it is written, verse 10 through 12 of Romans 3, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And we're like, not even one, not even one. What does that mean in the Greek? Not even one. And we're like, I'm certain that refers to somebody else. Not even one. Romans 3.23, for all. What does that mean? All. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say a small percentage. It doesn't say just that, real, that small category of bad people. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you know what? Because we all have sinned, we all need a Savior. And we struggle to believe that. But you know what? If Time Magazine was to produce a biblically accurate magazine, here's what it would read, understanding how bad people think, and you would open it, and it's just a mirror. Because Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 tells us one of the reasons that God brought cataclysmic judgment upon the earth through the flood was that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention, intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And we're like, well, that was then. Have you read the newspaper? Well, you don't read, we don't read newspapers anymore. Have you read the news? Have you looked at life today? It seems to me that that is equally accurate about today, that the wickedness of man is great on the earth. And just scrolling through social media that tells us that every thought and intention of man's heart really is evil continually. It's inherently selfish and sick with sin. So we may occasionally do and think good things, but apart from the Holy Spirit of God, even our best intentions are riddled with sin. So how do the people respond? Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Check this out. This is crazy. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. Why? They were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. We're told that masses, this reads like masses of people, were being drawn out into the wilderness. It's really the picture of being drawn out of the world. That we're in the world, but we're called out of the world. That we're in the world, but we're not of the world. That we're called out. We are a called out people set apart for kingdom purpose. And they were being called out into the wilderness, and it wasn't with a snuggly message. They were flocking to not only listen to this message, they were responding to the message, and they were being baptized. This was peculiar. This has never really happened before. 
You see, John had this peculiar practice of taking those who came forward, and this is even more crazy, just to step into the water was to confess in front of everybody standing along the edge of the Jordan that they were sinful. And it was the picture of being washed because sin is dirty and it's filthy. And this was a symbolism of being, being cleansed. They were confessing their sins. It gets even crazier because they weren't just being baptized. Oh, by the way, that's how John got his name. John the Baptist. Because he had this peculiar practice of baptizing people. Uh, and so he was John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. But here's the thing. What really, that really is jumping out to me. They weren't just being baptized. There was a word. And it's, it's translated as confessing. They were declaring out loud their what? Huh. This was profound. In Israel, there was a concept of communal confession. Like during the Day of Atonement, there would be an atoning, a ritual atoning for the sins of the people. There was a concept for that. There was a concept for personal atonement, like confession regarding certain issues through a sacrifice at the temple, but never had there been such a spontaneous, unhindered display of such public, humble repentance. It would literally be like here on a Sunday morning, like right now in a church service, to have somebody stand up and say, I'm addicted to pornography. Or I'm in a relationship with somebody who is not my spouse. Or I just cheated on my taxes. Or I, I, just, I, just, I just cheated my friend. I just swindled them. I just gossiped and tore people, tore people down. I can't stop hitting my kids. I'm a rageaholic, alcoholic, foodaholic, shopaholic. I can't stop being a womanizer or a manonizer. What would it mean? What would it mean if we all just dropped the charade of having our spiritual stuff together? We took off the mask and we confessed our sin. What would happen? We might just get healed. James 5.16 tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. We stay sick with sin when we keep it secret. We stay sick with sin when we keep it secret. And these people were not keeping it secret. They were proclaiming it. They were repenting and they were being baptized. And you know what? They were primed and ready for Jesus. In his ministry. But it wasn't just masses of people in the wilderness uh, that were responding to the message in faith. There were also religious leaders and teachers that showed up. And they came not to confess, but to question. They didn't need confession. They were righteous. They didn't come to listen, but to challenge. You see, these religious leaders build themselves as the righteous, but ironically, they were the sickest of all. Fourth question, how did John respond to the religious leaders? With the same message. You need to repent. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, and by the way, this is not a term of endearment. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Now, throughout the Gospels, we read of the Pharisees and Sadducees, just briefly, religious parties. They were broken up, separated along doctrinal, ideological, political, and theological lines. I mean, we can kind of get this separation. It's kind of like contemporary, not the same, but similar, like the, the, the division of, of Democrat and Republican. There's no division, right, between Democrats and Republicans, like culturally, right? Like, well, that was kind of similar. But somehow, they came together like with this bipartisan approach to confront John. And we see that same behavior uh, manifested in their approach to Jesus. But John would have none of it. He was not going to answer their questions. He called them a brood of vipers, and here's what he meant by that. He was essentially calling them sons of venomous snakes. You see, these spiritual leaders were full of spiritual poison that once a person was bit by their teaching and their doctrine, that, that neurotoxin of legalism and religious hypocrisy would slowly begin shutting down their spiritual nervous system, leading to spiritual paralysis quickly followed by spiritual death. John says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John's words were a strong warning that judgment was coming. Today, we do not like the thought of judgment. We don't like to discuss judgment. For the most part, the church shies away from talking about it, trying to gloss over it or make it more palatable. Almost like we're, we're trying to make excuses for what the Bible clearly teaches. There are passages that are very clearly teaching us that there is the judgment of God that is going to come on the earth. And we're like, well, <laughs> I mean judgment. Let's just focus in over here on Jesus' love. You can't have love without wrath. The wrath of God is as true and as real as the love of God. God poured his wrath out on his son that those who place their trust in him will be forgiven of sin. They were recipients of grace. It is a transaction. But if that transaction does not take place in a person's life, all they're left with is wrath. The wrath of God will come upon the earth and humanity will be judged. Just this morning in my devotional reading, I was in Revelation 19. Y'all, I want you to turn there in your Bibles. And I want to let you know this morning that that uh, you may start to feel that this message is going a little bit long. I realize that the Cowboys preseason starts at 12, but I am not going to be a respecter of football schedule this year. We have far more important things to talk about. We have far more important things to focus on. And if you have not been watching the Cowboys for the last few seasons, you're still expecting great things. I'll pray for you. Just kidding. You were left. <laughs> Revelation 19, I want, you to just, I want you to simmer on this. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. 
And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, Jesus, in his first advent, he came to suffer and die for sin. In his second advent, when he returns, he will come to judge sin. The rest of Revelation 19 is a very, very graphic reading and telling of what this judgment will be. Some will push back. Some will say, don't use that fear-based religious manipulation on me. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you are not scared of the wrath of God, then you have no true understanding of what that statement even means. It is a terrifying thought. John was warning the people, turn from sin, turn back to God, for the wrath of God is coming. John's message to the religious and non-religious was the same. Repent, listen to this, verses 8 through 9. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. They were trusting in their religious resume. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in for the eternal salvation of your soul? If you were trusting in anything other than Jesus, what you'll discover is you're dancing on a thin line of string and you can't stop playing with matches and is precariously placed over a pit. That if you have not received the true, full love of God, and the person, and the sacrifice, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all that is left as one, one great preacher declared in very calm fashion, you are in the hands of an angry God. We can live in incredible spiritual denial, Believing ourselves unneeding of true repentance. Listen to verse 10. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is what? Cut down and thrown into the fire. Over the past couple of weeks, I had to chop down some, some trees in our backyard. They were diseased and sick. Branches kept breaking off, breaking stuff potentially hurt people, so you just chop those trees down. But you know what's crazy? I didn't get them at the root. I'm going to. But they're, they're trying to pop back up, and I'm like, I'm, no, this diseased tree is dead. I'm going to grind it up root and all. And when John talks about that, he talks about this axe being laid at the root of the tree. What he's talking about is that in this world, the person who talks religion but has no relationship with Jesus is destined to judgment. Roots and all. I mean, this is common experience in an orchard. What do you do with dead wood? You clear it out and you burn it so that the trees can produce a harvest. 
What do you do with diseased and sick trees? You cut them down. Verse 11 through 12, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but listen to this, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Who is he speaking of? Jesus. He's like, Jesus is coming. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. I mean, listen to the humility of John. He's like, I am not the king. Let him increase that I might decrease. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's talking about the Holy Spirit baptism that comes upon all believers who receive Jesus, that moment where we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, just like in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. That when we receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, seals us, and comes into our life. And we are made holy. As believers, you have experienced that, that baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there's still fire. There's a twofold baptism, and as all believers, uh, we are going to be refined through fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15 says this, For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, that is the foundation of your, of your eternal life, Jesus now, if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, that is, that is good works, Holy Spirit-filled works, kingdom-minded works, wood, hay, and straw, that is, that is everything other than that, each one's work will be manifest for that day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, the judgment seat of Christ, where fire will test what sort of work we have done. If anyone's work uh, has built on the foundation, survives, he will receive a reward. Oh my gosh, we're so short-sighted sometimes as believers. We think we're making real big investments in this world, but they're short-sighted investments. They're temporary. Why, why would we ever invest all of our time, effort, and energy and resources into just present-day rewards? Why wouldn't we invest in eternal rewards with compounding interests that pay off for eternity? But he says also that if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. He's talking about those who have done nothing for the Lord, that they have a foundation for Christ, but then that's it. Their life will, will just will winnow away, and all there will be is the eternal salvation, but no reward. And, and I am afraid that that is the destiny of the bulk of the average church attender in North America. That there will be a winnowing like a ledger. And I'm like, Christians, you need to take a ledger of your life. Accounts and balances. It's a fact-finding mission. Where am I really at with the Lord right now? Where is my spiritual life? That if, I, if that refiner's fire came over my life, what would remain at this very moment? And then for the unbeliever, there is a fire that will pass over the life, but nothing will remain. There'll be nothing of value. The, the books will be opened of the books of works and the, the, the book, the Lamb's book of life. And if that name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, all there is, you'll be held accountable for your works. A different type of fire will pass over that life. Matthew 3, 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear out his threshing floor and, and gather his wheat into the barn, but chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That it means a fire that never ends. That there is a day in the future where the Lord will winnow the earth and the humanity that is upon it. 
the wheat will be gathered. The chaff will as well. The differing of, of chaff and wheat in an, an agrarian sense or agricultural sense, the harvest would be taken and be piled up. The, the farmer would throw up, in, up in the air the, the, the pile, and anything that blew away would be chaff, but what would remain would be the fruit. And then anything that wasn't wheat was burned with unquenchable fire. This reference obviously is to the eternal death that all non-believers will face. So we are left with a very important question, and before us is eternal life and eternal death. And I want to remind you that, believers, you are all being placed at the intersection of life and death. You have the message of life, fully aware of the realities of death. And I want to encourage you that wherever the Lord has placed you, be a proclaimer of life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It, there is no greater work than that. But I'm going to leave us with one single question. And I'm going to ask that our band come back up. Are you ready to meet Jesus? At this very moment. Oh, sleeper, wake from your slumber. Turn. Turn, turn to the believer. Are you ready for the refiner's fire? To the unbeliever, are you ready for the unquenchable fire? If you have not received Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the grace that we have through Christ, if you've never placed your faith in the work of Jesus on the cross, turn. The bridge is out. If you keep going, you will eternally die. And so this morning, as, as we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If you have never been saved, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to stand down here and I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to ask that our elders come forward. Today's the day of salvation. Do not let this day pass by. Do not believe those lies that are being told to you in your heart and your mind right now. Today is the day. If you are in a place as a believer and you're ready to recommit your life and you're like, dude, I have been totally wandering away. Today is the day. I want you to come forward. And as we sing... And as we do, as we get up out of our seats, and as we say, yes, I'm going to take a stand for Jesus today, we're going to ask that God moves in power. Amen? So, Lord, we invite you to move in power in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way in and among us. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, you have called us to be a people set apart and I believe you are calling hearts and souls at this very moment. Do your work. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
today is the day where you recommit your life. Or today's the day you give your life. Your feet may feel like concrete, but there's an adversary who wants to keep you where you're standing. Come. and the Lord does not put a message on my heart like this for such a time as this. You are so very loved. We will sing another stanza of the song. But if right now you're wrestling, I just want to invite you one more time come come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest yes to come forward is to admit I am a sinner in need of saving which means all of us isn't it so we'll sing one more stanza you're invited through
Let's bow our heads in prayer. Y'all come together. Come together this way. Y'all who are up front, come on, let's come together. We're going to gather together as a family. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to pray and we're going to rejoice. For some, it is the day of humble surrender. For others, it's the day of support to come together. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace this morning. To you who have not received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, but in the quietness of your heart, you believe, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you recognize you need a Savior in the quietness of your heart. Tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried and I believe you have risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is truly your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you have passed from death to life, from blindness to sight. You are forever a son or a daughter of the living God. Your sins have been forgiven. The angels in heaven are celebrating your salvation. They are rejoicing in the salvation that is in your life today. You have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You can never be pried from his hand. And for you who today are recommitting your life to say, Yes, Jesus, I have wandered away like the prodigal. I return. And what you hear from the Father is welcome home. In the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I have wandered away. But I desire to return. Be a part of your, your flock again. I ask for forgiveness for my sins, for wandering away. Thank you for drawing me home. And the angels are celebrating you. And they're rejoicing in your repentance and your return. Welcome back home. So Lord, in everything and in all things, continue to do your work in our hearts and our minds and our lives as we go back out into the world. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, it is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family. You are loved. Now we're going to carry that message outside these doors, but we're also going to give the world Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. If you have given your life to Christ, I would like to see you. We're going to have a conversation because I don't want you walking out of here confused of what just happened. Have a wonderful week. You were loved.